Alrighty, well, who was here last Sunday? Awesome. We're going to do part two of part one. So if you weren't here or you haven't listened, can I really urge you to go and listen to part one because part two fits beautifully and really part one and part two are one part. And what I'm going to share today is what I know is heaven's order and heaven's pattern around how we are to be the righteous demonstration of God. So these are probably the two most important messages I think I've ever declared to us. And so it's critical that we seek, we take the time with the Holy Spirit to ask the Holy Spirit to open up this reality to us because the Bible says that we are to demonstrate the divine life of Christ on the earth, yes? that the church, God's vessel, is to release the manifold wisdom of God. Do you know wisdom in God is a demonstration? Wisdom in man is the understanding of words. That's not wisdom in God. Wisdom in God is the divine demonstration of God. Paul said, I don't come to you with persuasive words of wisdom, meaning I don't come from man. I don't come from my intellectual understanding of Judaism, the Torah, the law. I come to you in the demonstration of spirit and power so that your faith wouldn't rest on man wisdom, but on God's wisdom. And so it is imperative that we know what God, who God is, and God's wisdom, because we are to be the demonstration of wisdom. If we're not the demonstration of wisdom, then we're not the mature church. We're still the church, but we're the immature church that can't yet live out who she's called and how she's called to be. And the Bible is very clear that the goal of God is maturity, oneness, because he is looking for his equal and he calls his equal his bride. So as we've looked at, he is not going to marry an immature little girl. He's going to marry a fully fledged grown bride who while she was on earth understood who her groom was, understood her divine role and demonstrated that for the earth to see. Because she knew she was in a covenant, a love covenant with the one who bought and paid for her. This is essential we grab this because to not grab this is to not know who you are. And so what that happens is when you don't know who you are, you just go through the motions. You go through religious ceremony, traditions, you have Christmas, you have Easter, you turn up day after day, but you stay the same person your entire life. That is not why Jesus died and rose again. He died and rose again that we would know who we are and that we would become the manifold demonstration, the mature people of God on this earth in our lifetime who are then going to join a whole lot of other people from past generations and future at a judgment seat to receive the full reward that God has for us. So it is imperative you really, really, really know God and who you are in God and His purposes because to not is to stay exactly the same. 
And that would be a crying shame, wouldn't it? It would be an absolute shame to live your entire life out of the life you were to enter into. Still covered by blood, but not in Christ. Because this is for this age and the age to come. And God has been attempt to awaken us from earth to the eternal. Because there is another age to come like this age. But that age lasts forever. This age lasts for about 85 years, if you're lucky. Seems to me that more and more people are getting sick than what they used to. And so people are dying younger, but also some are lasting longer. Fair call. I mean, there seems to be disease on this earth that's rampant, that wasn't around when I was 10. It was there, but not to the measure. And the Bible says that God's going to roll up this earth. He's going to roll up the heavens. And then with fire, it's all going to evaporate. So to live for this earth and to have your foundations in this earth would be to be a foolish virgin. So we need to be wise virgins, correct? We need to be like that, wise virgins. (laughs) And we do. You need to be wise virgins who have his version of himself. And then you're a wise version (laughs) of a virgin. All right. Revelation 19, 7 to 9. We looked at the first half. I'm going to read the entire thing out. Then we're going to break down. And I'm going to use this whiteboard because I'm going to write this out. And remember Vera giving me this word a few years ago. She saw me doing this. She saw me teaching on a whiteboard. And it's something that I've used a lot when I go to Cambodia. I think it helps with the translation. But just over the last few weeks, God is saying it's time to bring up the whiteboard again. And I've sort of flirted with it a little bit. But in writing it down and seeing it, and because you're going to see a divine pattern, you're going to see order, you're going to see words like fellowship, faith, fruitfulness, function. And you're going to see function at number four, not at number one. And then I'm hoping you're going to ask questions of yourself as to go, am I actually in fellowship or am I all about function? Have I missed some really critical parts out of the process? Because the outcomes are God's, correct? You see, the problem with us is we're so functional and so outcome-driven. We're all about the KPIs. That's fine if you're in the world, but it's not in God. God deals with the outcome. God deals with the KPIs. When that spirit enters into the church, we're in trouble. Because then we become a very functional, organizational, institutional model that's all about achieving objectives and goals. Now, are there objectives and goals in God? Yes, there are. But who is the one responsible for them, us or God? God. So our role is to be in process. And that is so foreign to the natural fleshly man or woman. Because we want to control so we know we come into the outcome, correct? What's the point if there's nothing of an outcome? Why do it? Because you love him. See, you need to have love in you to be in that process. Otherwise, you're going to be driving and striving for outcomes. And I hear this all the time. It's the first thing you get asked when you go to conferences with leaders. How many in your church? That's the first question I always get asked. I go, one, it's not my church. And two, I don't know. (laughs) 
And they look at you like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And they go, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> and then they go, how many did you get saved last weekend? I don't know. <laughs> how many did you get healed? I don't really know. God is responsible for all that. He just tells me to love him. And then from love, those things will follow. But I don't make those things the goal or the objective. The goal and the objective is to know God. That's all I want to do is know God. Because I know if I know God, then all of those outcomes will take care of themselves. But I'm not bound by the outcome because the outcomes aren't mine. That's where all the pressure is. That's where all the stress is. That's why many are not in rest but in stress. Because all this weight comes upon us that God doesn't even say is to be on us, but we carry it and it kills us all in his name saying we're suffering for Jesus because we've got burnout. No, that is not a fruit of God. That is a fruit of us. He promises me and you rest. And the challenge is this, we come to him and then we walk away. Because we think it's just about saving our soul out of hell. And then we live our lives. Now he says, come to me, learn from me, never leave me. Ephesians, by the way, you left your first love, you didn't lose it. How can you leave your first love? And what did they leave it for? Do you know what they left it for? Works. So he says, unless you repent and come back, I'm taking the lampstand off you. He's saying that today to the church. We're going to look at one of those scriptures today. Because it's all in relation to this big picture. This is such fine lines and fine margins, and it challenges every aspect of our heart and our mind that is still functional because we need function for our identity, purpose, sense of meaning, favor, my place in the body, my position, all the stuff that we go after that binds us. And you know why we do it? Because we do not yet know love. And love has not yet completed us and healed us. And we do not yet know we're actually sons who are not formed or defined by any of that stuff because love is enough. And so we need to get free of that so we can truly just be sons. Man, I'm so thankful in my natural family, my sonship wasn't based on my performance. If I did the lawns, if I did the dishes, if I said I love my mum and dad every night, if I bought them Christmas presents, birthday presents, my brothers didn't fight with I'm so thankful that my sonship, my identity, was formed on the love my mum and dad had for me because that was carried me and covered me and empowered me to be whole. In the natural, but I still needed real love. So Jesus says, come and never leave. But why do we leave? Why do other things turn our heads? Because we don't yet know him. If you know love, like the way I'm describing, you never go anywhere. Because you found life. And you found light. You found the substance of life when you find him, love. So let us rejoice <laughs> and be glad and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Do you know the bride does not make herself ready in heaven? 
It's on earth. So we need to be ready on earth because he's coming to collect her and he has a full reward for her. After earth, too late. You can't go get your hair done. You can't go buy your dress. You can't get your earrings. You can't buy your shoes. Men, you can't go hire your suits. It's too late. The bride gets herself ready on earth. And the bride and the spirit now today say, come. So Christ and his bride call out to the church, hey, fellow beloveds, come and be a mature bride. Come and have fellowship with me, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and one another, because not everybody is in fellowship. John clearly states this in 1 John. He calls people, hey, the life has been manifested to us. We have seen it, heard it, touched it. The eternal life came in, entered into us. We have fellowship with the Father, the Son. We turn and we speak the same word so you can have fellowship with us. So on that day, we can be one at the judgment. And that is the first element of the process. So I'm going to use both sides. Fellowship is the number one position in Christ. It is not relationship. It is fellowship. They are different. You can have a very shallow relationship with a person. You can have a very shallow relationship with Christ. He wants you to have a deep relationship, which is fellowship, oneness. The bride will be one with her groom. Heart, spirit, love, purpose. She will be the exact representation and reflection of the Son. We have this opportunity to be this individually and as a people. Don't blow your opportunity because you can't hear it or you're interested in other things. Why do our heads get turned? Because he's not enough. And the glitter and the glam and the promise of riches and life choke us. It happens all the time, guys. As soon as we add something to our life, our focus shifts. Oh, I got a kid. I got a new job. I got a new partner. I got a new car. I got a new, I got a new, I got a new. It can be and forms an excuse now. I just went and bought a tractor, God. I just went and got a new home. And the excuses come out and God loves. And he goes, well, I guess I just lost another one unless they turn. Don't let your head be turned away from fellowship. Don't have greater relationship with people and leave the Father because the people don't like what God is saying. Seen that happen as well. So the bride has made herself ready. Last week we looked at the inner realm, didn't we? Who can tell me the word I use with S to describe the process that we must be on if we want our hearts and our minds to change? Sanctification. Awesome. Who can now describe what actually this is? What is the process of sanctification? Transformed into his image. How do you get transformed into his image? Through the spirit and truth. 
Sorry, faith and truth. Spirit and faith and truth. That equals that. So when the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, enters into you through power, you start abiding in Him. Through power, not through a mental agreement, through power. You receive the power of the Holy Spirit. His Spirit enters into your spirit. You now are abiding in the Spirit, which means He can start going to work and producing the fruit of that Spirit in you. We looked at three areas, did we not, of an inner realm that is to be formed in us. The first one we said was love. And we looked at the characteristics of love, yes? Love is patient. Don't ask for patience, ask for love. Then we looked at, what was the second one? Fruit of the Spirit. Nine fruits of the Spirit, yeah? How many you got? Well, it's just one. You got the spirit, you got the fruit. There ain't nine. There are nine aspects, but it's the fruit of the, not spirits, and it's not the fruits. It's the fruit of Christ. So the more you're in Christ, the more you have His life. And the third thing was what? All right, this is encouraging me no end. I'm going to go before we ruin it. (laughs) (laughs) So we talked about the bride has made herself ready and it's part of a two-part picture. This is one half of what we're going to look at today because out of her is to become right acts, righteous works. And this is where we get all tangled up. Well, what's a right work? What's not? Well, a righteous work is a work by... Right. And so an unrighteous work is a work by... Right. (laughs) Yes. All righty. Cool. All right. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, right... Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. It was given to her. Why? What was she? Ready. So because she was ready, God gave. You never learn anything. It's always given. And that's how you learn. Have you figured that out yet? Not really. So if you want to learn, he has to give you and show you. That's how you learn in God. You don't learn from intellectual study. Okay, Jesus said, hey, religious people, you all search the scriptures because you think in the scriptures you're going to have life. And I'm standing in front of you called eternal life and you actually choose willfully to reject me. When you make the scriptures your first place and not the spirit, you're already in trouble. You need spirit and scriptures, but it is not scriptures and spirit. There is a divine order to everything. It's not spirit and truth. It's the spirit is the truth. 
Because he's a person. He ain't a principle. This is what challenges us because it challenges whether you are in the divine order of heaven or still in the divine order of the world. So he gives us everything we have. I have not learned one single bit of what you're hearing. It has been shown, revealed, given because I've been hungry and thirsty and I ask. And I'm like that little nagging little kid that goes, why? Why, why, why? And I'm not going to stop asking till you give me your word. And I know I have your word because your word changes me and enables me to be the divine demonstration of the word because the word does all the work. So I live from absolute rest because I entered into that place and I live from it, not towards it. And it is for every one of you. But if you seek first the scriptures, you are going the wrong way. You need to seek first the spirit, the person himself, and he will bring the scriptures alive. So the bride who makes herself ready are given fine linen. Woo! The best of the best, bright and clean for the fine linen is the righteous acts, works of the saints. Do you know you're a saint? It's part of your identity like a son. Now, do you know there are two garments? Do you? Hope so. There is the garment of righteousness. Isaiah 61.10 Then there's this other garment called the fine linen garment of the works. See how you got two, but the two become one. So here's your garment of righteousness. I wash you clean with my blood. You are now made right. Interesting how the works are righteous works. You see, once you receive the garment of righteousness, you're now there prepared and ready to do righteous works. Works are life of righteousness lived out, which means a life in absolute right standing to God, under the authority of God, living with, for, in God, and in the demonstration of God in you and through you. So we have to know there are two garments because it's not just about, great, I've been made right, thank you very much, now I live for me. The absolute complete work of God is a divine demonstration of God. There must be on earth the tangible demonstration that the church and the earth can see, feel, touch, hear, receive from. You could have... Hi. (laughs) This is Sam's mum and dad. They're awesome. But you could have... We could have dinner with one another with Jesus. Could you not? You could touch him, see him, and then his life, when the power came, came into them. And all of a sudden, now the things they couldn't do, they are able to do. Peter keeps falling over his own feet. He's getting out swords. He's chopping off ears. He was a lousy soldier. Like, literally, how do you chop off an ear? Have you thought about that? Like, he was either really good or lousy. Like, the head's bigger. Like, And so there is a divine demonstration. 
It's called the righteous acts of the church, the saints, the body, because she has come under his authority. Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own initiative, and you can do nothing apart from me. So why do we try? Like, why are we so outcome focused? KPIs, tick the box. Because, you know why? Because we're not abiding in Christ. That's the evidence of not abiding. If you're KPI and outcome driven, you're not abiding. Because when you abide, you understand it's not about that. It's about Him doing that. He tells you, guys, you can do nada, nothing, zero. Oh, no. I'm bigger than that, God. I'll give it a go because I've got a lot of self-will still living. That's right, because you haven't yet fallen on the rock and been crushed to pieces and been brought into fellowship, have you? You're still functional, doing your own thing, using my name. So you don't have my life, do you? How long have you been walking with me now, Simnor? 22 long years, son? That's a lot of days, a lot of hours to have this life, I promise you, in John 15. So if I'm not in it, then I'm not in Christ. I'm walking outside of Christ, thinking I'm in Christ. But if I'm in Christ, then I have the life of Christ. Not rocket science, real simple. One and one equals two in God. Simple, eh? Okay. So she's made herself ready. There's these get linen garments for the saints. Then he said to me, the word of God is spoken before it's written, which means we need to hear it, which comes back to are you searching the scriptures or me? So the scriptures are written down through being spoken, but do you hear me when I speak, or are you actually trying to understand me through what's written and take me out of the equation? So John writes down what he hears, what he sees. He tells you that in Revelation. The angel says to him, write down what I have shown you. Write down what I, the Spirit of God, revealed to you. Not what you think, what I show you. Write it, send it to the churches because it's an MRI scan from heaven to earth to show the church where she's really at. Now, if we ignore these things, we are a fool. If heaven writes you a letter and you ignore it, are you not a fool? Because heaven isn't writing you a letter for the sake of writing you a letter. Heaven's writing you a letter so you can come into heaven. Meaning the fullness of the eternal life, not the place. Because heaven came to earth when the Son arrived. He said, my kingdom is here, now I want it in you. So if your heart is full of iniquity still, if your heart is hardened, if your mind is still yours, how on earth can my kingdom get impregnated into you? So I write you a letter to tell you what I see. So there can be mass turning Enter into, receive what I show you so now you can live. You can mature and be ready so when you turn up, you're not only made ready here, you've not only fulfilled the commandments, but you did the commission and the works. The two become one. The problem is we skip the commandment, go straight to the commission because we're so functional. Am I telling the truth? And that's a problem. 
because we're back to front. God wants to turn us the right way around so we can receive all now and in the future. So the question is, what are these righteous acts? What are they? Come with me to Hebrews 11.33. In simple terms, they are works done by faith. Sounds simple, isn't it? It's actually quite deep. Because you need to have faith to do a righteous work. And faith isn't blind faith. We have to understand that faith and trust are two very different things. If I say I believe it by faith, what I'm saying is I believe it because I can see it and know it. I'm not saying I believe it by faith and I can't see anything and I hope it's going to happen. No, that's believing by trust. When you see it, that's why we need a faith that knows. You see, when God speaks something which is greater than what you can see, that's why you need a faith that knows. That's the position of power. It trumps trust. Faith trumps trust. Trust is needed and it's good, but it's not the main position. Faith is. So if I can't see, I need trust. Trust will bring me into faith. When I have faith, oh my goodness, I'm confident. I'm assured. I know. So I just go and lay hold of everything and I receive it. They are very different, but we've confused them and we say these nice statements that are catchy. And actually, it's not faith at all. It's empty words. And so these works are done by my knowing, my absolute knowledge, because I've heard, seen, acted. Okay, so Hebrews eleven thirty three, start 32. And what more shall I say, for time will fail me, if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, acts of righteousness, the righteous acts. So all these people of Hebrews 11, what is the key two words every sentence starts with? By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Every work was done by faith in who? Him. Because they had fellowship with him, which is my second point that comes here. So this is the divine order of a life of righteousness. Out of fellowship comes faith. Faith sees. So Noah built an ark. Yes? Just from his own initiative? No. What does it say here? It says, straight after God is the rewarder of those who seek him, by faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen. <laughs> I love it. God warned Noah about things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. Who's coming back? What's your salvation going to be in? Him? He's the modern day ark. And in that ark is all the promises and the reward for the church. I hope it is and not in you. I hope you're not putting your foundations in things that God's going to shake like this and you're putting it in him. Now, if you shake, it's okay because it might be the shaking that brings you into him. And you might need to be shaken up pretty big time to get in him. But here I see it clearly. 
By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark. Is God speaking to you and me about things not yet seen? Good. Are they changing you? Good. Because this is not seen, correct? But God is speaking to us about things not yet seen. So I see this. I'm hoping you're seeing this bit by bit. Because this is what it means to have faith, which comes out of fellowship. This is spiritual oneness with God, but you can't bring yourself into that, can you? What do you need to bring yourself into oneness with God? Power. Resurrectional power. Jesus died, correct? What came upon Jesus on the cross? Sins of the world, which means he was what? Separated from God, which means he needed power to get back to God, did he not? Okay, are you dead in your sin? So then what do you need? Can you see the oneness between Christ and you? If Christ was dead because he took on the sins of the world to give us an opportunity and he needed power to raise him from being dead. He wasn't faking it. They killed him because he was man and power came in and rose him up. If you're trying to live this life without power, you've already lost. You cannot kill you. You will dominate you every single minute of this day. You will choose you over him because you don't have the power to choose him over you. Which means it takes you out of oneness with God. My life is hidden in God. I've come into the reality of Colossians 3, 4. He's my source. He's my being. He is my life. And that's not because I'm special. It's because I'm hungry and thirsty and it's for every person. So I prophesy, I declare it into the earth so everyone who's hungry and thirsty can actually have fellowship with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all these men and women here, God, his son, the spirit, and one another. Rahab. They're all waiting, going, come on. Cheering us on because they are not made perfect and complete until we come in. What an invitation. So that's one passage. What about 1 John 3, 11 to 12? I'm excited, man. Life in Christ. If you're not excited, man, you need to. I don't know. You need something. Take a Baraka or something, I don't know. <laughs> this is really, man, this one here is powerful. 1 John 3, verse 11 and 12. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That has always been the message. Oh no, that's the new commandment. That's the commandment. So this has always been God's heart because it's who he is. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds, his acts were evil and his brothers were nice brother. Do you know that happens in the church? Jealousy. See? 
When one is living a life of faith in Christ and able to demonstrate something and then speaks, those who are insecure, who are pride-filled, get offended big time. Because they can't figure out how you've come into that because in their eyes they're more intelligent than you. And you're a nobody but a somebody and they're a somebody in their own eyes. And so they get jealous and they become like that. Now they might not physically kill you, but they kill you here. And they kill you here. And they tell others gossip, murmuring, lies, because their own fear manifests. And so they have to shut God down in a person because it brings their own fears into the open. And it's supposed to, to get them free of their own selves. But that very reality has them attacking the one in God that's loving them, speaking a word to them in the hope that that word would find its mark and set them free. Have you experienced that? Have you done it to someone else? I guarantee you've probably done both. You've been on the receiving end and you've been the guilty one doing it. Here's the thing. When you wake up to the reality that you've been the one doing it and you're not the victim, everything shifts. Because he shows you. And you're looking and he's going. And then he says this, but I love you. And I'm covering you. But that can't happen in my kingdom because that is not a divine demonstration. That is not a righteous act. That is a flesh act coming out of fear and pride because you don't know who you are yet. And when you don't know who you are, you hurt people. And when people don't know who they are, they hurt you because that's all we know how to do because we're still children. So it's kindergarten, isn't it? And you go to kindy, you take my toy, I take that toy and I bash you on the head. (laughs) And it's survival of the fittest. My wife works in that industry. I've seen it. You go in there, whack, whack, ah. And then the parent has to come along or the teacher and break it up. And they're the what? Peacemaker. So they try and bring two flesh models together and through spirit help them become one with them and the father and the son. Can you see why it's critical that we leave infancy, we get off milk, and we start eating solid food? Because he says, with the freedom I've given you, do not devour one another, because I've called you to be my bride. From the very beginning, I've called you to love. I've called you to have the fruit of my life in you, and I've called you to have my being attitudes in you, so you no longer come out of you, but I do. It's called Christ in the church, the hope of glory. And we are to be ministers of glory, 2 Corinthians 3 to 4. So when things happen, that doesn't happen. When the pressure comes on, our faith that is more precious than gold, which is perishing, comes out. Because the faith is connected to fellowship. And so what happens now is the fruit comes out of you in abundance. So you're in fellowship. Fellowship forms faith. Out of faith comes fruitfulness. 
That is a divine, that is heaven's process right there. That's how confident I am. That is heaven's process. And there's one more to add, which is function. The problem with the world is function is number one. And we skip number one, two, and three. (laughs) So you end up doing your own works by flesh. Running around, not seeing a lot of stuff. You may see some things here and there because it's a gift and a calling. But you also may hear, Lord, Lord, well, who are you? Because I know you never love me. But you took my gift and my name and did your will because you were still functional. See how intentional. This thing is not give it a go, mate. This is not fake it till you make it. All those things have to be burnt up at the cross because they set us up to fail. God says, no, get to know me. Come, all you who are heavy and weary and laden with all that functional work. Don't think it's just about lost people. It's about anyone that's not in Christ. Come and leave it and let's commune. Let's have common union, communion, fellowship, oneness. And then from this, faith is birthed in you. And you now start to hear and see and see the invisible made alive in you. And you're like, oh my goodness. Then he speaks. And now you have a functional fruit coming out of you called the inner realm. And now from the inner realm, you can love. You can actually lay hands on because there is, guys, an absolute divine demonstration of God, authentic from heaven. Jesus modeled it. Jesus patterned it. And he was trying to get every one of his disciples into him and into this work. But if we skip process then you receive the fruit of your process. It's so, so simple, but it is profoundly mysterious, and we all need to know this person that God has sent. Correct? He's not a force. He's not a power. He's a person. He ain't a principle. Power comes out of him. Truth comes out of him because the Spirit is truth. But if we have no idea who this is, then we're just going through the motions, thinking we're doing works for God, and we're going to look at something that happens. Okay, clear so far? Anyone want to ask one question? The cost? There is no cost. You just have to lose your life, don't you? And there's no cost in that because you gain a brand new life. So there is no loss in Christ. There's no lack. It's not hard. What's hard is when we're hanging on. Now, I'm not saying life isn't easy, but you have a life in you that trumps life. So when we let go and lay hold of, we get something far greater than what we've let go of. And the problem is we hear loss and go, hold on tight. What you're supposed to hear when you hear loss is absolute abundant gain. 
Do you hear that when you hear loss in Christ? Gain. <laughs> then say gain. Well, I just did. And then you actually can lose your life because you've gained a life that enables you to lose your old life. It's like dying to self, okay? You do not die to yourself. If anyone's trying to die to themselves, stop! You cannot die to self. That is the wrong way. You receive more of him and you will not exist. So the order is always positive, not negative. It's never I must die, it's receive. I no longer live. That's how you decrease. It's not decreasing by trying to decrease. That'll do your head in. Frustration, disillusionment, anger. Doesn't work. No, you're going the wrong way. It's not him. His process, patterns are life. It's us. Okay, uh, 1 Corinthians three twelve to 15. Now, there are three righteous acts that we need to be aware of. And within these, there's heaps of things, but... Uh, what did I say? Yo. Same page, brother? Nine. <laughs> Nine's a good number. <laughs> uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 12. That was a good question. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 3, 12. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, so there's options, eh? Each man's work will become evident. So what you're building on is going to become evident. Now, it becomes evident now, and it's going to become evident at a judgment seat. So you need to know what you're building on. You don't want to be building on hay, do you? A good storm come along and hay, gone. So he's warning us in love, yes? So we know that each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Ooh. So God's holy fire is going to come. And it's going to test the substance if you have any righteous acts by faith. It ain't enough just to get out there on the street and preach. It ain't enough just to lay hands on people. It ain't enough just to give it all a go because that's what you've been taught. We must be in fellowship with God. Out of fellowship, we have faith. Because we're in fellowship and faith, there is fruit being produced. We're abiding, so we hear and we act. He shows us and we act. He goes, sorry boys, I know Lazarus has been dead. We're staying here for two days. Now, all the religious people who are functional go, ooh, you don't love, 
who do you thought you are? I thought you said you loved. I thought you were the Christ. You could raise him from the dead. See, all our insecurities start manifesting and our lack of faith and trust because we want the guy healed. And Jesus goes, a couple of days. I'm on my father's timeline, not yours. I don't act because I see a need. I act because I'm sent to a need. And that is huge, man, because God sends leaders, man sends leaders. Isn't that right? You don't want to be under a man-sent leader because they will lead you into man's ways. You need to be under a God-anointed and sent leader. Now, the problem is the religious spirit kills those ones because they don't like what they bring because they bring the truth. How can that be? They bring the truth and they get killed? Yeah, isn't that the pattern? Hello, what gospel do you read? Jesus is the truth. He preached the truth. He got killed for the truth. He did not get killed for preaching signs and wonders, doing signs. He got preached. He got killed for preaching the truth. You will get killed for preaching the truth by the religious spirit, the flesh, and the worldly spirit. Watch out for the leaven of who? Two kinds of spirit. Herod, which is the world, and the Pharisee, which is in the church. Watch out for them. They're everywhere. (laughs) But the Spirit can love on it. But don't listen to it. Don't receive from it. Love it, but don't receive from it. If you receive from it, you become like it. And don't kill the Spirit when it turns up because you don't necessarily like what it brings, but it's here to set you free. Because it doesn't fit inside your box. No, that's right. It's trying to get you out of your box and into his mind. So he says there's a fire coming. And the things we go through now are little tests to test whether you're in, which is more precious than gold, which is the most highest commodity on earth at the moment, isn't it? Everyone's stacking up the gold. But it's going to perish. What are you putting your faith in gold for? Well, because it's the greatest commodity, yeah, of earth, not of the kingdom. He says it's this and this and hope. And so all of what we do, everything you say, the fire of God is going to test. Who can feel that now? This is what holy fear should feel like. Whoa, it's not that great to fall into the hands of a living God. Now, this judgment is not for punishment. Thank you, Lord, I received your son. But it is for reward. But he's clearly telling us there are righteous acts that receive the reward, and there are fleshly works that are burnt up and receive nada. Not nada, the bakery. Nada. They do do lovely scones there. (laughs) Listen to this. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. What do you think that reward is? Your garments is going to be one. Reigning with him is going to be another. Being a bondservant in the new heaven on the new earth, it's this in front of God who has the name written on the head, serve the Lord, see his face. There's another. 
That sounds like this. That sounds like, actually, it sounds like marriage. Funny, that. Sounds like a marriage covenant that a man called Paul wrote about. That we wouldn't miss it. He called it the greatest mystery. It is because it's still to be revealed in most Christians' hearts and minds. Why, Greg? Because we're all about the function. What gospel did you receive? Functional or relational? This is going to determine everything. If you received a functional gospel, it goes like this. Give your heart to the Lord, now go get other people. You'll have no clue of this stuff. No clue. You'll have a mental understanding, but you won't have the life in you. If you heard this gospel, it's about a marriage covenant between fellowship and a relationship between God and his people. And the greatest commandment is to love God. And before you do any of that, don't go anywhere. Certainly don't leave it if you find it. (laughs) Four works. Because you actually stopped in your intimate relationship with the Lord and somehow, somewhere, someone turned your head, maybe through a miracle, through a work, through money, through something, and all of a sudden you went, oh, what's that over there? And now you're over here. And now you left him. Hey, church, come back to me and learn from me and never leave me. Because there are works, and unless they're of me, and you must be this close to me if they're going to be my works. You can't hear the work of God if you're 500 miles on the other side of the planet. And God is everywhere. Can you hear what I'm saying? Spiritually, if you are separated from the Spirit, the chances of you hearing His voice are pretty slim. Because you're hearing your voice and everyone else's voice that's filling your flesh, that's telling you what you want to hear. And that is coming even more in the body of Christ. There will be men and women who are not part of the church, that come out of the church, who will lead others astray. And we need to have spiritual discernment because it is happening now. At the moment, I believe it's unintentionally, but it is still happening. I need a drink. So, look at verse 15. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. So is that clear? Now the works are not your ability. The works, and this is what we have to know, because you can read that and go, Greg, what are you talking about? It says the man's works. The works are done in God, in you, and you are the recipient of the work. So sure, you go from A to B. I'm speaking right now, aren't I? This is a work right now. But I'm not speaking from Greg Simnor. I'm speaking from the power of heaven in Greg Simnor, and the word that God has given me is God's word coming out of my mouth. So I'm in complete rest, but I'm actually doing the work. Can you hear the difference? Because you need to grab this. It's not any work. It's the work he does in you and through you. That's the work that's going to be tested because I am called to speak. I am called to make disciples. I am called to lay hands on the sick. I am called to go at the leading of God. So all the works in God must be, here's the pattern if you want to write this down, centered Uh, inspired 
empowered and led by the Spirit. So that's your other reference for works of faith. Centered, inspired, empowered, led. Outside of that, it's you. Oh, I got a good idea. That's great. Oh, I think this. That's great. I think that. Okay, go. Is it this? Is this the filter you run it through? Is this work centered in here? Has God said to do it? Has then God empowered me to do it? And is it led by God? The classic is in Acts when Philip reaches out to the Ethiopian. Go read that if you want that, because that's a scripture reference for that. Cool? It's very quiet. That's good. It's weighty, isn't it? Okay, come with me to Revelation now. Thinking about 1 Corinthians 3, come to Revelation. And here is love letting a church know of a reality that she's in. Revelation 3, 1 to 5. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. Who is he? Here. Who? Jesus. So it's a letter from Christ. Jesus writes, you and I, this church, a personal letter, because the seven churches are a reflection of the church today. You can find Christians that would fit into a church today, here. It's just an expression, okay? So don't think, oh, that's not us. May not be you personally, maybe the person beside you, okay? Might be somewhere else, because it's an expression. It's actually one letter that went out to seven churches, not seven individual letters. One letter went to seven churches, so every church could see the other's report. How are you getting on on your fellowship? Oh, you go to work on that. Don't look at us, mate. How are you getting on with the works? Oh, yeah, well, that's a bit of trouble. Hey, Philadelphia. Oh, I hate those Philadelphians. They had nothing wrong. There's two out of the seven get a clean report. So he says this. He who has the seven read that. I know your deeds. Oh, it's time to get uncovered. It's like getting your robe off at the doctor. (laughs) I know your deeds. That you have a name. That you are alive. But you are dead. You have a name, you're alive, but you're dead. That's a worry if you are tied up in that. And because you see activity, you go, oh, we're alive. It may or it may not be. You and I need to discern if it is. You need to discern everything I'm saying. Do not just accept what I'm saying as the truth. You need to discern whether it's the truth. You need to take what is being said to the Holy Spirit and ask Him to reveal it. Be diligent. Be discerning. Don't just take everything that someone says and believe it. Seek, ask, knock. Come into self-revelation and see if it is. Test the spirits. Okay? And I invite that. 
two-way because it's about fellowship, not right or wrong. It's about being one. Help me. I help you. We work as a team because none of us are perfect. But God has given the church gifts and gracings to see the church built. But none of us are perfect. None of us have arrived. We're all going to make mistakes. I will. I'll love you. If you love me, we have a chance at actually this. Cool? So he says, you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die, for have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So the works you're doing were not completed in the sight of my Father. They are your works. So wake up because you think, you think, you think, because you see and live in the physical, you see things, you think, my goodness, 1,000 people, 2,000 people, that happened. May or may not be. You need to know. See, it's not give it a go. It's not, oh, well, it's not casual. Guys, this is so intentional. God is so intentional. It's a narrow way. It's narrow. It's as narrow as a thin string. But once you find it, it's wide. It can't be casual. There's no such thing, sorry, as casual Christianity. That's called passive apathy laziness. In Christ, it's intentional, powerful, active. It says violent men take the kingdom by force because they want to know and they want to live this divine life on earth, which is not temporal. It is eternal in the vessel that is called the church. So here's a warning going, you say this, I'm telling you something opposite. Your deeds are fleshly. God never leaves you hanging there though. He always gives you the solution. Amen. So remember what you have received and heard. And keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Verse 4, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. Are you joining the dots? Righteous, righteous acts, righteous garments have not soiled their garments in works. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. This is not heaven or hell. This is reward. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. These people did works, not in the sight of God. They thought they had it all down. They thought they were comfortable. We're okay. It's everyone else. God's saying, no, you're not. I'm looking. I'm seeing your works unless you wake up and come into the reality of what truly is the Spirit and get out of flesh. Then when you stand before me and my fire goes through, I will not see me in you. I will not see my works. I will see your works and your works are hay, straw, stubble. just a little bit full on. And all this has to be lived from love. So if we don't know love, then we can go to a real dark place. This is why we need number one. If you haven't received that, 
Because it's different than knowing God loves you and receiving love. You can know he loves you and still be in fear. Bible says perfect love casts out fear. And the context of that is around his return. So I said, we don't shrink back in fear at the return of Christ because I know him and I know my life has lived out in Christ and the acts have been righteous, not perfect, but I know I'm in Christ. So I'm not shrinking back, I'm moving forward at his coming because I know what it's about. Do you know what it's about? What's he coming for? A righteous bride. He loves all people, but he will not marry all people. Meaning all people being the body of Christ. So that's pretty stern, correct? Okay, keep going. (laughs) Okay, so what are these righteous acts here? Do you know the first righteous act is to believe. It's actually an act of fellowship. John 6. To believe is the first righteous act. What am I believing in? Him and what he says. Now that does not mean mental agreement. That means living convictional revelation of the heart. Believe. I believe you are the Messiah. I don't believe it. I know it. And because I know it, I now believe it. And because I know it and believe it, what you say is truth. And because what you say is truth, I receive it. And I'm changed by it. I'm no longer going no. I'm going absolute yes. And because I receive, because I believe, I'm different. Anything less than that is unbelief. You can't say you believe something and then not let it perform its work in you. That's unbelief. Painted up as belief. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. We're talking about a divine demonstration of Christ's life upon this earth, correct? So to say you believe and not at some point be in that is to lie, And God says, you're a liar. You're lying to yourself, you're lying to other people, and you're lying to me. 1 John 2 verse 3. If you tell me that you know me and don't keep my commandments, which is from the beginning love, you are a liar. And if you turn up at your judgment seat like that, then you will be saved, but the fire will go through you and it'll be all what he did, nothing what you've done. Because you were asleep like they were in Sardis to the reality that was going out. So the first righteous work, John 6, he is telling them, the context for John 6 is, I am the Messiah. I am the bread of life. I've done a miracle to prove who I am. You want me to do another miracle because you're not interested in who I am because you're a people who look for signs. Because that's the operating system you work under, but I come with an operating system called Christ, Christ crucified, which for you is a stumbling block. To the other guys called the Greeks, it's foolishness. 
But I come and I do a miracle to say, come over here and now partake of me, the real food. Because if you partake of me, you're going to have fellowship. You're going to have eternal food. Why do you work for food that perishes God's people? Why do you keep doing the same thing day in, day out, getting the same result and not change? Because you are unaware of the reality and I'm praying you're hearing it because God is saying the same thing today because we are to be eternal. We are to be a church that loves like God. We are to be one. We are to be His. He's coming back for His possession. We're all our own possessions living for us. Come on, let's be honest. And we've got an opportunity to be His. And that's the challenge because it challenged my flesh when he came. I know it challenges your flesh and it needs to. It needs to get ugly. It needs to get gritty because the cross was brutal. The cross was a horrendous murder where they ripped him apart. It's not pretty. The gospel's not pretty. It's not come to Jesus and he'll give you a nice life. That's a load of crap. The gospel was violent. And the cross, when it comes to your flesh, it's violent. It says, I'm coming to crucify you. Why? For life. Because unless you can live this, you're not in Christ. But you have an opportunity to be in Christ and not just believe you are. Because your life is telling you who you're in. I'm so passionate that we get this. It's life and death, man. So he tells these people and they say, who can listen to this guy? You might be saying the same thing right now. Who can listen to this idiot? He says he's the Messiah. He talks about drinking blood. If he was the Messiah, he knew our Jews, we don't drink blood. Correct? Was he the Messiah? And we have hindsight, which is good. But do you know him as Messiah? You may be those people mentally going, yeah, he's the Messiah and living as he's not. Because when he says to you, okay, this is my truth, you go, no. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it ain't. Yes, it is. And you go backwards and forwards. Backwards and forwards. It's like ping pong. Don't play ping pong with Ollie Goff. His table is rigged. <laughs> he said, Greg, you want to come out and play ping pong? Yeah, mate. Ping, the table. It's like, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and it's like spiritual ping pong with God. And God loves us. He goes, my goodness, man. How hard is this? How long have I been with these guys, God? How many times do I have to forgive them? Seven? No. Infinite. That's the opportunity God is giving us, an infinite opportunity while we breathe. But guys, the bride is making herself ready on earth. There is no reward when you get there if you're not ready. There's loss. You hear that? There is loss for the church that isn't ready. That's what that says. That is just one scripture that says that. Do you believe that? Some of you don't. You can feel it coming back. There is loss. If your life is built on wood, hay, stubble, which is you, you will receive nothing. You will scrape in, but you will not receive your reward. Because the reward is for people who have lived the right 
life. That is not just being made right. That is living right. That is not perfect. When I'm talking about perfect, I don't mean getting everything right. It's about living a life of righteousness through humility, through spirit and truth, and being humble and laying it down. Like a loving father, God says, okay, we're going to learn how to ride a bike today. You do not get on that bike as a two-year-old, get up and straight off. You fall over, you get back. You fall over, you graze your knees. You get back. And a loving father is there through the whole process. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am your counselor. I am your helper. I am your teacher. I am your comfort. While I mess you up, I'm going to comfort you. And I will hold the back of the seat, and then I will see you, and I will see you get released. But you will not go your own way. You will come back, and we will walk together. So the first work, the second righteous act is to love. God and our neighbor, yourself, every human being, as God loves. That is the second righteous act of the saints. First one is to believe. Revelation through the power of the word brings conviction of heart. Believe, start living. As you say, I agree, I live. That enables me to love because I'm in the way of heaven. I'm abiding in heaven. If I abide in heaven... If I abide in the vine, then the Bible tells me then much of this is produced, which means my action is loving as Jesus loved, which is what Jesus taught his entire ministry, which is from the beginning. Love one another as I have loved you. So the standard is not our human love. The standard is God's love. Well, that's a high standard. Uh-huh. That none of you can hit. Uh-huh. So what do you all need? Same thing. <laughs> Jesus is the power of God. Correct. So do you have me? And if you do, then you can. Because they are one and the same thing. And you need more of me to be able to love as me. Because I want to perfect you in unity. I want to perfect you in fellowship. I want to perfect you through the power of my enduring word, which is imperishable, which is to richly dwell within you, Colossians 3.16. But you can't do it. Well, that's not very fair. I know it's good, isn't it? And when you can't do it, do you know what you do? What you can do. So you go back to doing function. Because in you and a gift and an anointing, you can walk on water. You can preach. You can cast out demons. You can look after children in Africa and everywhere around the world. You can, but you know what you can't do? You can't love. And you can't deny you, which sounds a bit like Peter again. And it is. And so, guess what? If you can't love, and God says, if you move a mountain, and if you lay your body down, and if you do all the works, and don't have love, you're nothing. Where's that? 1 Corinthians 13. That nice little passage about marriages that we like to say. 
and we skip, and it's taken completely out of context, because that's what we do. And we miss the warning. He's going, if you don't have love and do all these works, because it's not of me. It's of you. Lord, Lord, are you getting this? Like this, like, guys, if we really get this, this causes massive repentance. Okay? So the next step from this would be to go home, get on your face, and start crying out. If you're not in this, that's what it looks like to hear the word of the Lord. It means to do something with it. Those who hear, act, and build. Not hear and then walk away. They're like a man that looked like the face in the mirror and forgot what they looked like. James 2. You see, there are things called faith and works, and they go as one because by faith creates a work. It's not I have faith in nothing, and it's not I have faith in the other. No, they'll faith and works come together, and it's a divine demonstration of a righteous act of the saints. Are you a mature saint or a baby? You need to ask yourself these tough questions. Okay, the third are the, let's say, the power works of God or the external. Okay, so these are the laying on of hands, seeing disciples made. This is what you lose your life for. So this is where you're actually no longer thinking of you because if you're in this, you're no longer thinking about you, eh? So if you're in this and this, you've lost you, which means your purpose is to live for who? Him and everybody else. So 1 John 3.16 says, you will know them by the way they lay their lives down, okay? Which is what he did for you and I, didn't he? He went to the cross and laid his life down for you and I. When you go to the cross and are filled with God, you lay your life down for your fellow brothers and sisters. You don't live for you anymore. You're not worried about holiday homes. You're not worried about work. You're not worried about as your number one priority. That stuff, if it's number one, is strangling you from this because your focus is there, not here. Now, when this becomes number one, viewed through the lens of work, family, marriage, sport, it's completely different because that's one, that's two. But when what your number two is your number one, you're in trouble. Because you're living for what you want. You're actually in function. You're not in fellowship with God. You don't have faith. There's no fruit coming out of you. So what you do is you go, I've got to do something because I don't want to feel guilty. And the guy at the front's telling we should go win the world. So I'll get on board with that train. Hear this stuff? Been part of it? Me too. And God's smashing it. And here's the deception. We are to go to the world. We are to lay hands. But not from function, from oneness. Because that's where all the rest is. Paul was not knackered. And the man was busy. Fickle. Traveled from A to B all over the planet. Was in prison most of his time. Wasn't down and out. Oh, sucks. Here I am again in prison. What's the man doing? Encouraging the churches. Why? Because he laid his life down. Why? Because he could? No. Because he'd received this. 
This is him. This is not Greg. This is him, God, revealing to Greg what Paul saw. The oneness is everywhere. It's God, 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 God. It's not Paul. It's God. And when you become one with God, you speak as God. You are not God, but you speak the word of God, which has life to those who hear. I really pray you're hearing and seeing this process. This is the divine demonstration of heaven. If you want to be in the divine demonstration of heaven, the manifold wisdom of God, this is the way. This is the single way. And it produces righteous acts of the saints. You do not get fellowship out of function. That's what we teach. We say this, if we all achieve a common goal, we will have oneness. How are we getting on with that? (laughs) There is more division, multiple denominations. Some don't believe in the Holy Spirit. Some do. Some don't believe in the gifts. Does that sound like oneness to you? No, because our methodology is upside down. It's fleshly. We go, right, let's come up with a common goal, physical, functional goal that'll get everyone on board and we'll have unity. No, you have conformity to man's approach. So we don't have one mind. We don't have one spirit. We don't have one love. And we certainly don't have one purpose. Everyone's got their own. This is what we have taught. I have taught to a measure in the past. I'm not saying I'm outside of this. I've been in this. I've repented from this. You saw this if you were here. I've written two books about it so we can come into life. This is the eternal pattern, and it is all defined around this. The problem is, like we started with, God and His infinite wisdom starts with the end. We start with the beginning. But God starts with the end then the beginning, then the middle. That's not how you start a book. Greg, you start a book at Genesis. No, you start the book at Revelation. Because Revelation (coughs) defines Genesis. And you will find the pattern in Revelation that you will find in Genesis, and then you will find the entire pattern throughout the middle of the Scriptures. Because it's one story. Guys, the context for the Scriptures is a marriage covenant. It's not reaching lost people. It's not getting people saved. It's not healing people. It's a marriage covenant between Christ and his church of divine fellowship, faith, fruitfulness, function, righteous acts. You live a life of righteousness. He died for you to live and you are rewarded. Now you can't get into that through mental agreement. Do we agree? (laughs) What a setup that was. You all fell for it. You can mentally agree with everything I said and not be able to live it. It is revelation upon revelation upon revelation. None of this has come through me studying that. This has all come from me walking with the Spirit and the Holy Spirit revealing the spiritual words that are spirit in life because I know the flesh profits me nothing. Jesus' words are spirit and life. They are spiritual words. They are not Hebrew. They are not Greek. They are not English. They are not Afrikaans. They are nothing of the natural. They are Him. So without Him, I can't know it. So please do not go home and try to study this 
in your own head. You may come up with an informational version, which is not wrong, but it won't be life-giving. We must take this, if I do not have revelation of this, and go, Holy Spirit, reveal what I've heard from last week, this week, and tonight we're going to bring these two together, me and Sam, so we get the whole pie. So come out tonight. And if you can see it, you're like, now I know how to walk and lay hold of it. And you lay hold of what you've been laid hold of for. I'll just put some, what I'll do is I won't do it now, but I'll put scripture references for all these. So if you want to take a photo, you've got your scripture references, okay? That's it. Does anyone have a question? Yeah. Thanks, Greg. The Bible talks about the uh, crown of righteousness, righteousness as a reward. Mm-hmm. How is this different from the garment of linen? It's not. It's different? No, it's the same thing. It's the same thing? thing? Yeah. Okay. You go look. What does he say? Those who... There's, there's, there's context around getting the crown of righteousness. So do you know the context around what he says? Yeah. He says, those who love me. Yeah. Okay. So once again, we're not talking about, oh, I love God, and then I live for me. If we love God, we live for God. We no longer live for self. That's the evidence of loving God. A non-Christian, anyone, look, anyone can do works, correct? Anyone can do natural works. In fact, some of the times the world do better works than the church. So anybody can do work, so it can't be about works. And it can't just be about saying, I love, because anyone can say, I love you, and not. People are in marriages, they say, I love you, and they live lives of not love. So it's not about saying, I love you, it's living love. And that's when you get the crown of righteousness, because he says, and to those who love God. He says, I have fought this fight. It's been a good fight. What? There's a fight? Mm -hmm. Are you in a fight? Are you in a spiritual battle, firstly with your flesh, and then the demonic that are trying to rob you from this? So if you're not in a fight, you're in nothing. Because Paul's saying the crown of righteousness is awarded to those who have fought a good fight and the future is laid up for them. So the future now defines the fight here. Now the Bible also says if you're living godly, you'll be persecuted. So if we're not being persecuted for being godly, then we're not godly, which means we're not living a life of righteousness, we're just enjoying life for us which is to shake us up because this is what it's saying. So the word says this. If you are living godly, godliness, and you will be persecuted. So the Bible is very clear. It gives you all the evidence you need. Truth is self-evident to know if you're in the truth or outside of the truth. So the other one, if you say you know him and can't love as him, you don't know him. It's not like, bad boy, go to the back of the class. It's, hey, you're actually fooling yourself and you're deceiving yourself, which the Bible also says we can do. So I only give the crown of righteousness to those who live a life of righteousness, which is this, a righteous act lived out. 
a life of righteousness, which is a life of godliness. Okay? It's going to be a pretty looking bride. Greg, I, um, I was actually reminded this week about love because, gosh, every time you talk, it's just about love and it's been mulling through my head and this week I've just been reminded that love is, is like, it's like a secret weapon, you know, because it actually defuses the devil's power and Every. his demon, his demons trying to evoke you in the spiritual realm to actually come out with, um, uh, oh, what's the word, negativity or whatever. But it, it starts like, you know, if, if you start like a fight with somebody, if you love them, there's no way the fight can actually carry on. And this is what the devil tries to do, is to imprint that on us and you yeah. know, get you there. So, yeah. Yeah. You, you, we have to realize that, so you, we've got two I- enemies. One is your enemy. That's your great, that's actually your greatest enemy is your enemy. is the flesh that's still living, that has not yet been reconciled and redeemed by the cross. So it's the way you think, what you feel, how you live, that the choices you make. When the truth is spoken, your flesh rises up, and the Bible says spirit and truth do not get on. They're in opposition. So the flesh must bow its knee and be crucified by love. If it doesn't, then you deny the cross, the power, and you maintain a form of godliness. 2 Timothy 3, 1-7. So you're always learning but never coming into the knowledge of truth. Okay? So that's your greatest enemy is you. Meaning it's not who you are in Christ, it's your old man still living. People say as soon as you receive Christ, the old man has gone. Really? Well, then that means if I pressure you into something, you have a demon in you. Correct? Because if your flesh has totally gone and you get upset and go, whatever, you manifest the options of this. Demon, Christ, that's it. Now, we can rule out Christ. That means you've got a demon in you. No, you don't. It's your flesh that is not yet crucified. You may have a demon in you. Come here and we'll cast it out of you. But you may, but you probably don't. It's your flesh that still hasn't been crucified with power, kicking and screaming like a little kid. Okay? It's ugly, but it's not who you are in Christ, but it's still in you and it's got you. And you don't want to do it, but it's got you, eh? And it's doing some things, okay? Then there is the demonic. Now, he plays on your flesh. So if you overcome spirit and flesh, he has nothing to play with. So you give him authority over you because he messes with you because you're still not dead. So he comes and he says this about you and that about you, and he throws you a curveball, and he knows your weaknesses. He goes, oh, just line that up right there. I'll line that up right there. And because he knows the flesh and he knows it's in you, it says the devil had nothing in Jesus. Jesus was pure. So look at the way Jesus went to battle with the enemy. He had the word. He didn't, he didn't do any of this. He stood firm, resisted, and spoke. That's what we're to do, aren't we? You don't have to shout. You don't have to jump up and down. That's just ridiculous Pentecostal hype. 
You need to know who you are. You need to allow the sanctificational process to happen so you get the Word of God in you. So when He turns up, you speak the Word like Jesus spoke the Word. He's only got lies, temptation, and deception. That's His game, but He's very good at His game. He's the card dealer that swifts the cards on you. And because you lack discernment, you go, oh, am I really not a son? Hey, well, I'm not really a son. Then you believe the lie. You don't believe him. And you live that and you kill yourself. So yes, we're in a war, but the greatest battle is our inner man who's still living that hasn't been crucified by power and the enemy plays on that. Now, you get yourself sorted in that. I've had demonic, I've seen demons and people. I've said demonic presence in our house. And they leave when the word of God is spoken because the authority that's in me is greater than him. Yes, he's powerful, but the authority in here, not Greg Simner, Christ in Greg Simner, spoke one word, one word over Danielle and it left. Same thing a week later in our kids' rooms. Maddie cries out, Dad, there's a black bat in here trying to rip out my heart. I walk in, I speak truth, it goes, she's fine. That's about as much as the battle that we get into. The problem is if we don't know, we get all these funny things and we're getting all ready and we're doing all this and we so have our armour on, which is Christ in you, but you don't have it, so you're going through this physical ritual thing that we've been taught and you're found out. And now you're scrambling for scriptures. You're scrambling. What does it say? Oh my goodness, what does John? Oh, and you try. Too late, man. <laughs> Gone. He's won. He knows the word. It is written. Do you know it's written, Jesus? So if we are not people of Jesus Christ, the living word, not words, we're, we're, we're turning up for a battle with no armory, no guns. It's like, take your best shot. You hear what I'm trying to say? There's a war. It's a spiritual war between demonic forces. But we don't focus on that. We turn to him. But when it turns up, we deal with it. Simple. And then we keep moving. Does that help? Uh, hold on. Yep. So you think it's possible then with, for Christians who are saved and covered by the blood... To, to not know Jesus at all. So when he says at the end, I, we did this in your name, we, did, we prophesied, we cast out demons, and he says, away from me, I never knew you. Yep. You who perform yep. evil deeds. Because I always imagined that was people who were deceived, who thought they were Christians, but actually not Christians, because they were doing it for some other motive or what have you. But you're saying that these people... What do you think about that? <laughs> yeah, Bill, the, so there are people who are justified yeah. who don't know him. And I'll show you this. <clears throat> so this is my personal conviction. Okay, I believe there are four categories of people on the earth. There are those who are lost. There are those who are justified. There are those who are justified and born of the Spirit. And there are those who are justified, born of the Spirit, and enter the sanctificational process. 
and righteous acts. So I believe, personally, there are four categories of people on earth. This one, non-Christians, non-followers, yeah? Haven't received Jesus, don't believe in Jesus, believe whatever they believe in. Second camp, those who received John the Baptist's message was a message of what? Repentance of sin and iniquity. Okay, yep. So this isn't just, this is your nature. This is the action and the nature. The nature of man which causes iniquity and sin. Okay? But that doesn't mean you receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts, did you receive the Holy Spirit? What are you talking about? What Holy Spirit? What message did you receive? Oh, I received the message of John the Baptist, which was a repentance in water. Oh, you need to receive the message of the Holy Spirit and get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Come here. Simon the sorcerer is a classic Acts 8. He believes. He gets baptized in water. Then what does he try and do? Just <laughs> to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit because he is a man that has known the sort of power of the demonic. He's all about himself. The people revered him. Ooh, ooh, it's Simon the sorcerer. He's a man of power and favor. He hears the message come from Philip. He goes, oh, that's different. He then believes it. He then gets baptized and then he tries to do that. Do you know what Peter says to him? I'm going to read it to you. Because this is how violent in the spirit Peter's response is to the man. This is Simon. Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with mercy, with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. I thought he believed and got baptized. He did. The heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. That's called flesh that still needs to be crucified even though you believe and are baptized in water. That does not mean the man is not justified. Because we believe in Jesus Christ, yes? If you believe in your heart that Jesus died, rose again, you're justified by his blood. Now that doesn't mean everyone that prays that prayer is. Because God sees. Only God really knows who is and who isn't saved, correct? Isn't justified. But we don't get caught up in that stuff. Because that's just a rabbit warren you get lost down. That's up to God to sort out. There's enough issues in my own life to worry about. So I'm going to pray and hope all things. Okay? Then there are people who are justified. John the Baptist received, who are born of the Spirit. They receive the Holy Spirit to some measure and get born of the Spirit. Once again, that doesn't mean because you're born of the Spirit, you do it all His way. Okay? So you can lay hands on the sick, but you're not doing the will of God. It says only those that do the will of God enter the kingdom of heaven, which isn't heaven. 
So we're not talking about heaven and earth when you hear the kingdom of heaven. We're talking about life in us and the kingdom back on earth literally for a thousand years. So the tension is you can do all these things, all these works. You can be justified in his spirit, but still actually not know who he really is because everything requires revelation upon revelation upon revelation, and you need to get to know the Holy Spirit. So this is the whole process of being made perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect or mature, which is the goal of Christianity. We've stopped at that That's what a lot of churches are known for, just that, an evangelistical church that get everyone saved, maybe, I'm not sure, I don't want to go there. But the thing is, are we leading them to maturity? Are we leading them to being perfect like their Heavenly Father's perfect? Or are we leaving them just justified? And so when the word goes out and the truth goes out, parable of the sower, Get excited for a minute and then go back to living the way you used to live. Doesn't mean you're not justified because it's on what he did. Now, we've just looked at that with the works thing, yeah? We stand before God. It's not going to be based. Our justification isn't based on our works. It's based on his work, what he did. Right, we get that sorted. We never come back to that. Now, it's about works by faith in the Spirit. So then we get to our judgment seat we get rewarded. But just because you have the Spirit in you doesn't mean you live a life in the Spirit. Doesn't mean you hear the Spirit, act in the Spirit, are being transformed in the Spirit. You have the potential to because the seed is there, but it hasn't been activated because you're living for your flesh. You're trying to understand God through your flesh. You're trying to come into God through your flesh. You do all the flesh works, but you're still justified. Make sense? And then the fourth category of people are justified, born of the Spirit, and learn from Jesus Christ. They learn. Come to me and learn, and I will give you rest for your mind, will, and emotion. I'm going to change you. If you enter into my rest, you will cease from your works, and I will perform my work in you. So the promised land, which is my son, and everything of my son will be in you, and it will come out of you. And then you will do the righteous act of the saints. So we start here. I was lost in 1997, lost as lost can be. Now, the challenge is you can go from here to here because it's depending on God. So I get revelation, baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm not baptized in water, but I got John's message through the Spirit. I get Jesus' message. I enter into the kingdom and I'm seeing stuff and I've never read a book. Not because I'm any better than you, just because that's the way it happened. There is a gift on my life, but I went from here to here. But even here, you're growing and maturing. So there's still mindsets that need to be changed. I used to think it was all about reaching the lost 10 years ago. God said, son, it's not all about reaching the lost. That's not my number one. My commandment is because it's connected to my covenant. But I couldn't see the marriage covenant. All I could see was reaching lost people. So he had to show me his divine covenant. That happened, I changed, this place changed, and we've been going a completely different direction ever since. But if you don't see it, you're like, I don't understand any of that. I quite like the old. Well, okay. But we're going this way. 
And that's the multiple prophetic words we've had. Man, how many times have we had the, the, um, the battleship get off the cruise liner and get into the game? I'm going to do your undone. The people you were are not who you are today. These are prophetic living declarations that are to be changing us. If they haven't, they're just going right over our head and you might be completely unaware they're even there. So the purpose of the word is having zero impact on you. And this is, I understand the challenge. I understand, but I see it as opportunity. And so here's the challenge is that I personally don't believe you can lose this state unless you actually reject it. So you can reject it. You can deny it. It says for those who have partaken of this life here and then go back, don't be them. Okay? But this is who, this is this, we want to be in phase four, growing. So if we're justified and we don't yet know the power of the Holy Spirit, then we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to look at next year more and more. We're actually going to go back. You know what God said to me? I want you to preach like everyone is lost. That's where we're going to start. So I'm going to preach to you as a lost person that I was lost, knowing what we need and what we all need. Because here's the challenge. You could be here, or let's say you think you're here. You can think you're here, but you're actually here. And so you need to know exactly where you're at because if you think you're here and you're here, then you're always going to struggle because you don't have power to live. So you'll hear what's being said and try and activate it in your own strength and fail. You'll give it a good go for a while, but then you'll give up because it's not your strength. He says you've got to serve God with the strength God gives. Anyone that speaks the word of God is speaking the utterances for heaven that God gives. So we don't do anything out of our own strength. If we are, stop. Because that's a flesh work that's going to be burnt up. Everything must come, my other side, centered, inspired, empowered, led from heaven. That's the only thing you're going to be rewarded for. The Bible is crystal clear on that. We read that this morning in one verse. So this is the challenge because you can know God in the sense of what I mean is you can take his name because it says you of lawlessness is the last part of that scripture. You of lawlessness, which is sin. And it says, those who do the will of my Father enter. And I I go, well, with the will of heaven is to heal the sick, raise the dead. So how come people doing that aren't entering in? We need to go and look. Because it's more than that, but you can still be justified by his blood. So you can lay hands on the sick and not enter into this dimension of this kingdom back on earth because it's defined through a covenant. What is the number one thing? I'll come back to what is the number one functional work of God? I'll turn my thing around. Remember that there was a fellowship work? What was the fellowship work? To believe. Okay, so what was the first functioning work? Love. So Jesus said this, Father, I have made your name known and I will make it known. So the love with which you loved me, Father, is in the church. He goes on and says, hey, Peter, a new commandment I'm going to give you today is to love these men like I love you. 
That's where you want to start. It is not in whether we do miracles. It is not in whether we reach lost people. It is not in traveling around the world. If you can't love, which is the commandment of God, which is the first functioning righteous work, you would want to be aware of that, wouldn't you? Because when you stand before him and it is a marriage covenant of oneness and he goes, you didn't love me. That's what he's saying. God knows those people. He's not saying, I don't know you. God knows every hair on our head. 1 Corinthians 8.3 says this, God knows those who love him. So what he's saying is, I know those who love me and I know those who don't. I know those who take my name and the gifting and do their own will called lawlessness sin. Because to do anything that's not from faith is a sin. I've cleansed sin, so I'm not talking about that sin. I'm talking about anyone who lives for themselves and does acts of lawlessness is sin. You're missing the mark. You're missing the standard of faith. Anyone who does Live, sorry, anyone who doesn't live for faith is committing sin. Meaning you're missing the mark. So when you stand before me, how can I reward you? You didn't live to my standard. You didn't know. So you don't get wiped out because that's for lost people, unfortunately. You're not lost. You're just stayed immature. You never grew up and became an adult spiritually. You stayed as a baby. And guys, he's not going to reign with babies where he's going to give you authority to reign over cities. The whole physical being is a typology of the spirit. Do you understand that? The physical is second, but it is a picture of the spiritual. You will not give your children keys to cars and bank accounts and put a million bucks when they're five. You will destroy them. They will live for themselves. They will get consumed in their own sin, wouldn't they? If I let our children have decide meals, they would eat ice cream, chips and chicken. They wouldn't eat anything healthy and that would be killing them. Well, it's no different in God. God says, if you, you can't be faithful in the little You've got no chance of being faithful in the much. If you can't be trust you with what the basic things are, I can't, love can't give you that. Just like a father, can't, I can't give you that. That would destroy you, Maddie. That would destroy you, Lily. I can't. I want to, but I can't because I'm love. I'm not being horrible. Love loves. Do you hear what I'm saying? It loves, not what the person wants, what they need. And so, yeah, you can lay hands on sick. You can raise the dead. You can do all the works because the gift is not reckoned. God doesn't take the gift back. And you can use his name. That's what they did. In your name, we did this. God's like going, I know you didn't love me. And just saying you love God ain't enough. Your life must demonstrate it. And that's my whole message. The righteous action of the saints is a demonstration of Christ on earth. Jesus loved. The commandment is to love. To not be able to love when you can in Christ is to not be in Christ. Christ is in you. 
but you're not in Christ. You may not actually be born of the Spirit. You may just be covered by blood. So once again, this isn't a right and a wrong. It's not a bad and a good. It's just you seeing where you're really at. So then you can go to him and you can come into all he has. That's what this is about. No one go deep and dark and I'm a loser, please. But we must bring the word to light to be able to show the truth rather than keep it down here because everyone's going to feel bad, which means you can't be looking for the favor of man at all. You've actually got to be prepared for everyone to walk away. But when you're not connected to the people, you can because you're not looking for anything from the people. You're serving the people because you've laid it down and you're serving him first. So you give what the people need, not what they want. And there are people coming who are going to give people what they want to tickle their ears because they're building their own empires. But all that is coming to a crashing down when he returns because when it all kicks off, it's all coming down, which means we need to be in Christ and in the way of Christ and being the divine demonstration of Christ. And we can in Christ, but not in us. And this is taking years, guys. This isn't just five minutes. This is years of me seeking and spending time and eating and asking. This is not a five-minute, you know, in the prayer closet. This is daily partaking so then I can fulfill my role in a body and as an individual run in the lane that we're all called to run in and finish the race set before us, which we're all called to race in. We're one team running. Even though we might be in other lanes, we're actually all running the same race. And it's this. And it's all built on a knife edge. I said to God years ago, I said, God, that that question that you asked, I said, why is it that you let people operate in the power works when that can actually deceive them? Yeah, because if you raise someone from the dead, you think, look at that. I must be in Christ. You know, if you're doing all these works, and you, you can actually deceive yourself into thinking you are. That's why that is there. Now, the thing is, you want to be doing that from this place of abiding. But I go, God, why do you? That's a hoodwink. People can, and I can hoodwink ourselves. He goes, yeah, I know. I've intentionally done it to find out who really loves me. Because he knows if you truly love him, you will seek him. You will not only find him, you will find his way. And then you will do it his way. So the whole design is set up to actually find from the creation to the end of humanity who loves God because he wants to marry them. It's not who God loves. It's who loves God. God's love is for all. And then he goes, I'm looking for that love back. This is not a one-way relationship. This is a two-way called fellowship, which is one. So Christ and the church, but the church is hidden in Christ. It is no longer two. You've become one with him and one another. It is profoundly mysterious, deep, simple, but knowable in the spirit. See you tonight, eh? Thank you, Lord.